Great, thanks. Good to see. Today we uh, continue our uh, series in the run-up to Easter as we've been exploring the, the book of James. And um, hello up there, sorry, I'm, I've got to remember that I've got to look that way. We need a mirror up here so you guys can see the people upstairs, but it's great to have you, sorry. Um, we're, we're looking at the book of James and so far James has been encouraging believers um, to live out their faith in Jesus. That actually they... They mature, as they mature, as they learn to follow Jesus, um, they mature. And spiritual maturity um, means that they can suffer. We saw this in chapter 1. They can suffer and still experience joy in the midst of trials. Um, that, uh, that then James moves on and, and latter end of, of chapter 1 and then into chapter 2. Looks at actually has, as our faith matures, it always creates a response. There is always action to be found, that we step into maturity in, in Christ through living by God's word, being obedient to, uh, to what God calls us to. And hopefully you're seeing that James has just one goal in mind. He wants believers to become mature. James 1, 4, he says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. James believes that maturity is found in joy in suffering, through faith in action and obedience to Jesus. And now he tends to how maturity is seen through the use of our tongue, as Kudzi has just read to us. And, and the writings we find in James, they're not particularly complex. Um, over the last few weeks, um, no offence to anyone, including myself, who have preached these messages, but they're fairly simple. But they're incredibly challenging. They demand a response from us. And if you find yourself walking away every Sunday, not asking, not reflecting on the message and asking God to reveal what he is demanding of you, then I would suggest you maybe missed it. God's word does not come to bring shame. It's really important for you to understand today. If you walk away from a Sunday feeling shame and guilt, that isn't the work of God. God's word, however, does shine light into darkness. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharp than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So when we read the Bible, at times we will be convicted. That's the work of the Spirit, not allowing us to stay as we are, but transforming us into the image of Jesus. Uh, James isn't writing this stuff to make people feel bad. He is writing it because he wants to see us mature. He knows God has more for those who follow Jesus. And so the work of the Spirit brings conviction into our lives where we are living opposed to God. But the beauty of it is that the Holy Spirit not only brings conviction, but, it, but the Holy Spirit is also the one who empowers us to change. Jesus promises that he would send the Holy Spirit to be our helper. And that actually the process of being made like Jesus is, is a word called sanctification. Is actually that something that God does in us. It demands a level of uh, obedience, but actually is God working through the power of the Holy Spirit in me so that I can turn from my old ways and I can walk into newness. And that means that when we come to passages that are incredibly challenging, we don't give up. We don't feel full of shame or guilt. We don't feel despair at our failure, but instead we open up our hearts to God and we allow the Spirit of God to do what only He can. 
and that is to transform us into the image of Christ. And so today I get to a passage which I could really go home after what Kudzi read to us, knowing that God's challenged me already and knowing that I need the Spirit of God. And so if you're able, I wonder, would you just stand with me? Let us just take a moment of still, just to, just to steady our hearts before God. Just to allow the Holy Spirit to come and speak afresh to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is alive and active. That we can come today and not just know about you, but we can know you. And Lord, we do open up our hearts knowing that you want to do a work in us all the time. You are wanting to, by your spirit, to come and transform us. And I pray for each of us that we would be open to how you are wanting to speak to us this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. If you want to grab your seats. So this morning, I just want to simply walk us through this passage. I want to draw out a few thoughts. And, um, and, and I just want to allow God to speak to each of us. Uh, so verse 1 starts this way. It says, Not many of you should become teachers. My fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. What a place to start. Good night. <laughs> I could just stop there. And the passage gives this weighty warning about we who teach. But James's warning isn't just for Bible teachers like me today. But in a moment we're going to see that the tongue carries great power. Uh, and so, therefore, when we are teaching, we need to apply such wisdom to what we say. Uh, if you're a parent, what you teach your children really matters. If you're discipling newer believers, what a responsibility you have, your words really matter. If people look to you in any form of leadership, whether in the church or in a community group or in your workplace, you need to be careful how you use your tongue because you have the privilege to influence others. Then he goes on to say in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their body in check. I hope over the last few weeks, the, the teachings haven't left you with this impression that, that James is like the goody two-shoes who sits at the front of the class putting his hand up for every, every answer and gives the teacher an apple. No, he wants to make it really clear here, we all stumble in many ways. So when we come to the power of the tongue in a moment, James is levelling the playing field. We're all in the same boat. When we heard that Bible reading from Kudzi at the start, the aim is not for you to sit there and think, oh, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. No, the aim is that we examine our hearts when it comes to our speech. We all stumble. And then James turns to three pictures. He takes a horse, a boat, and a fire. Let's read it. When we put bits into the mouths of our horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue, is all, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of a man's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. The general principle James is getting at here is that small things can cause big results. A bit in the mouth of a horse can totally change the horse's behaviour. 
A small rudder can change the direction of a boat. A spark can set fire to a whole uh, forest. And the tongue, although a small part of the human body, can cause great results for good or for bad. And that's simple. Uh, We've all encountered moments when our speech has had devastating consequences. Or when someone has said something to us and and the power of their words has had such an impact on us that maybe even today you are still living with the scars of those words. Uh, I was reading this week words from a Jewish rabbi and he says, words are the singularly most powerful force available to humanity. We can choose to use this force constructively with words of encouragement or destructively with using words of despair. Words have energy and power with the ability to help, to heal, to hinder, to create, to harm, to humiliate, to humble. The power of words. We see this in in, in Genesis, we're going to touch on in a moment. God speaks and the word well comes into existence. There is such power to our words. And then verse 7 and 8 says, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. No wonder our words cause so much damage. No one except Jesus has succeeded in mastering the tongue. And then verse 9, they say, With the tongue we praise the Lord our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. In Genesis 1, we find the, the, the account of creation. And in Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so when we think about how we treat ourselves and how we treat one another, this passage is the starting point. God creates us in his image. And then in verse 31 of Genesis, it says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. God did not make a mistake when he made you. God did not make a mistake when he made me. And we know that the image of God has been defaced. Sin has entered the world and every one of us has disobeyed God. But at the core of us, our very core, we are made in the image of our creator. And that image one day will be completely restored. Mark shared that with us this morning. John, 1 John 3 verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. For those who have chosen to turn from God, from uh, repent of their disobedience and follow Jesus, we will be made like Jesus when he returns. But for all of humanity, for all of us, we are made in the image of God. And James wants to remind us of that. You know, when we speak ill of someone, We deface the image of God. When our words are hurtful, we damage the image of God. When we hold views about certain people, when we speak ill of other religious groups or other groups of people, when we speak racist words or we speak sexist words, we we damage the image of God. When we speak ill of people, we do that to a people who are made in the image of their creator. And we live in this world that that thrives on opposition. No longer can you hold differing views and and still be friends, but if you have a differing view to someone, then that automatically means that you're seen as the enemy, that you must hate them. 
What happens is this makes us just have lots of enemies. You're either a friend or an enemy. Christians, you know, we were once seen as slightly odd. We're a little wacky, maybe to be humoured, maybe even to be pitied. But that has changed. Christians are now viewed as, as dangerous or oppressive and even harmful. And the danger for us in a world of division is we can be seen as the enemy. And we can res- respond by building up resentment in our hearts towards certain groups. And when that happens, it won't be long until our words and our actions follow. I want you to think of those people or people groups who are completely different to you. Maybe even the people who have oppressed you or you have experienced ill treatment from. Each of those people are made in the image of God and deeply loved by him. Muslims are made in the image of God. The LGBTQ plus community are made in the image of God. The neighbour who causes misery to you on your street are made in the image of God. That person who is just so different from you is made in the image of God. That family member that you've not spoken to in years is made in the image of God. Whoever those people are that you are thinking of right now, they are not the enemy. They are not the enemy. They are made in the image of God and loved by him. And James's warning is that we should not use our tongue to curse anyone made in the image of God. And that also includes ourselves. You see, the tongue can speak of ill of others, but it also can be used to deface the image of God that we carry. When we speak, what we speak about ourselves and to ourselves really matters. Those times when I make that same mistake again and I tell myself how useless I am, how much of a failure I am and always will be. When I put myself down in front of others or or fail to accept positive words spoken to and over me, I deface the image of God. And this is not a life consistent with being a follower of Jesus. Verse 10 says, Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. How can we use our voice to praise God and then leave this building and speak ill of someone made in the image of God? Verse 11 and 12, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James is using these ridiculous pictures. You know, can fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? Can a fig, a fig tree bear olives? Can a grapevine bear figs? The answer is of course not. As followers of Jesus, it is inconsistent that we can be filled with the Spirit and speak words that cause harm. James, uh, Jesus sorry, says in, in Matthew 13, 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why James is so focused on, on speech in this passage, because the tongue is a marker of where the heart is at. He's already said that no one can master the tongue. James is not aiming for perfection. We are going to get it wrong, but God is wanting to transform our hearts. The aim is not behaviour management. James is writing because he wants to see believers stepping into maturity. You know, too often the church is focused on behaviour management. People come to faith and then good, well-meaning Christians impose a load of rules on them. Oh, it's great that you've become a Christian. It's great that you've been baptised. Now you maybe should start by reading this book of the Bible and you should pray before bed and, you, and, and when you wake up in the morning you should, you should stop sleeping with your girlfriend. You should stop smoking. 
Uh, The Bible tells us that when we become Christians, we become a new creation. And Jesus tells us that following him is about living life to abundance. And yet sometimes we can present the Christian life as a life of stopping doing things and behaving properly. That's not grace. Grace says, come as you are, and there is nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there is nothing you can do to make God love you yet less. And that might make some of you feel nervous because isn't that a license to sin? Isn't that a license to keep on living the way you were before? Doesn't that go against the faith in action that James is teaching? No. Because when you meet Jesus, he captures your heart. No longer do you want to live the way you did before. But you want to live in a way that pleases your saviour. You want to change because God has taken your heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh that is warm to him and his plans and purposes. Wants to please him. So you read your Bible not because you have to, but because you want to know God more. You pray not because it earns you any favour, but because you want to spend time with your heavenly father. You you stop sleeping with your girlfriend or stop smoking, not because you have to, but because you want to live in a way that honours your creator and live in a way that he intends for you. We've been given a new heart, a love for Christ, a desire for him. And as we receive this grace, out of the heart overflows the mouth. As we spend time with Jesus, our speech reflects more and more of what Jesus has done in our hearts. And some of our speech will be transformed immediately. I know of some people who had a terrible mouth, would swear all the time they met Jesus and it changed overnight. I know people who had just told the crudest of jokes, they met Jesus, it changed overnight. But I also know people who struggle with speech after following Jesus for many years. Jesus comes into our lives and by the power of the Spirit, he works in our hearts to change us. And I want to be obedient to that process. I want to engage what the Spirit is doing. And as I do that, my heart will be changed and my speech will be impacted. I I grew up in East Hull and um, I went to school on Bilton Grange. And I I quickly realised that I wasn't going to be a fighter. I was too small and too good looking. (laughs) Um, Thanks. (laughs) I realised I was too small to be a fighter, so I was going to fight with my tongue. It wasn't swear words, but I could use wit and sarcasm. I could tear people down really quickly. And I decided that the best form of defense was going to be attack. So I'm going to get that in there first every time. And I'm going to belittle them. I'm going to make them feel so small. And then I'm going to run. (laughs) I was always quick. I grew up with a group of friends who part of our friendship was we would just tear into each other at any opportunity. We would mock each other. We would speak words over each other. as Just the, the stuff that would come out of our mouths. And as I got older, I re- started to realise that my tongue can cause so much damage. I, I started to realise that sarcasm is not a fruit of the Spirit. Maybe some of you need to hear that today. Sarcasm is not a fruit of the Spirit. I started to realise that. That when I live a life connected with God... He develops the fruit of the Spirit in me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That is not how you would describe the impact of my words. And over the last few years, I've had to open up my heart. I've had to open up my heart to the change that God wanted to do in me. 
Some of the things that I've learned about my speech, I can be defensive with my words because I think I'm better than people and I like to be right. I can tell lies to impress people or to keep them happy because I desire the praise of man. I can be critical in my words because I'm, I'm proud and I think I can do things better. I can put myself down or struggle to accept praise because I'm insecure. And as I started to learn these things, God began to show me what was going on in my heart. What I needed to repent of. What lies I was believing and what truth that I instead needed to embrace. And it's still a battle. I do believe God has humbled me over the last few years. He's rooted out pride in me. But I still struggle with the desire to keep people happy. Sometimes that desire to lie or just not tell the complete truth in order to be liked, in order to avoid confrontation, sometimes comes in and I've got a choice to make. Sometimes I get it wrong and I need to go back to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Ask God to reveal what is going on in my heart. And when we struggle with our speech, and we will, we need to go back to the heart and ask God to reveal what is going on in here. And when we fail, we don't despair, but we look to Jesus, the one who tamed the tongue in a way that none of us could, lived a perfect life, never once sinned, and then he went to the cross to pay the price for our sins. That means we have forgiveness for every wrong word that has ever come out of our mouths. That we have forgiveness and we have a hope for the future. That one day that process of being made like Jesus will be complete. But for now, every single day I have to choose if I'm going to open up my heart and allow my tongue to be transformed by the transforming work of the Spirit. Proverbs 15 verse 4. The gentle tongue is a tree of life. But perverseness in it breaks the Spirit. A gentle tongue is the tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Imagine what it would be like if every one of us was known for having a gentle tongue. If the gentle tongue is a tree of life, what fruit would we see if that infiltrated every area of our community? Jesus showed that gentle speech doesn't mean niceness. We're not called to be nice. We're called to be kind and loving. Jesus could confront people, but his words were never sinful. They were always loving and they were always full of truth. Sometimes as Christians, our goal is to be right at all costs. You may be correct, but if it's not full of love, then you're wrong. If people don't know you love them, they don't care what you think. Do those outside of the church, those who don't know Jesus, see Jubilee as a place full of love? Do they see it as a, as a as place where we have been changed by Jesus and we are a place full of love where our words overflow from our hearts? Or are we known as a people who like to be right or full of judgment or full of pride? When people know that you care about them, then you have a right to share with them the good news of the gospel. And I do want to finish by just sharing about what that means for us as a church with each other and the tongue. You see, we are family. And, as, and God decided that through his church, the manifold wisdom of Christ would be made known to the nations. That he would gather a random, diverse group of people and he would use them to show his glory. It's an incredibly bold strategy. 
Uh, diversity means we're not always going to get it right. We're going to say words which are going to hurt one another. We're going to cause upset. If no one has upset you yet in this body, welcome to your first week. <laughs> but we each need to take responsibility for, for our own words. There are times when we need to challenge one another. But first, let's take the log out of our own eye before we highlight the, the speck in someone else's, as it says in Matthew 7. When challenge is needed, make sure it is full of truth and love. Before you challenge someone, ask, am I the right person to do this? Will it be received from me? Do this, does this person know that I love them? You have to hold someone close before you can hold them accountable. And the way, and way before we are a community that challenges, we must be a community that encourages. I want us to be a people who are so full of grace, so forgiving, so encouraging. Encouragement doesn't mean ignoring the faults. It means choosing to celebrate the good. We don't need people walking around full of shame and guilt. We need them walking around in awe of what God has done in them and with a desire to be made more like him. Do our words drip the fruit of the Spirit? I have always been like that is not an excuse if you're a follower of Jesus. If your words are critical, abrupt, sarcastic, vulgar, rude, etc., then God wants to bring transformation to you. And it starts with the heart and it will overflow into your speech. And I want to say that for most parts, we're winning at this. I love getting to these passages and going, you know what? I think we're winning at this. The care and the love that you show for one another. Uh, the patience and grace that you demonstrate. The way you welcome in the new people. The way you lift up the, the struggle, struggling the, and care for the broken. You are an incredible community. Even this week, I watched as um, messages of support come through on a, a WhatsApp group for somebody who's, ex who's been having surgery during the week. And, and just seeing the, the encouragement and the love that you guys are sh just showering over this person, I was so thrilled. Just read them, it just did my, it did my heart good. I know we're not perfect. I know there are people hurting today because of the words that have been said by people in this community. But I do think we are doing well. However, when our words do cause upset, they do and they will, how we respond is vital. Sometimes we're just not very good at doing crucial conversations well. Sometimes uh, it just pains me to see how often people cause offence by words and, and rather than dealing with it, the pe person chooses to become offended. What happens is the offence takes root. No longer was it a word that could have been dealt with quickly, but it drives a wedge between two parties. And then days, weeks, sometimes even years later, something happens, it causes a reaction, and you realise, wow, that offence took root. It's the biggest reason people leave churches. We are family, and therefore we love and we serve each other best by dealing with issues lovingly, no matter how difficult it is. When we confront issues lovingly, we all grow. Let's turn to the Proverbs for some wisdom on this. I need it. Proverbs 6, from verse 2. If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son. 
and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbour. Go, hasten and plead urgently with your neighbour. Give your eyes no sleep. Give your eyelids no slumber. If you have caused upset, go and plead with your neighbour. Don't sleep until it is resolved. That's what it says. You have to choose whether you are going to own it and deal with it or whether you are going to hold on to it. Even if you are not at fault, be the one to own the situation and be the solution. Proverbs 12:18. There is one whose words are like sword thrusts. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. There is one whose words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Imagine if our tongues brought healing into situations. In a moment, Sue is going to lead us in taking communion. And in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul warns us not to take communion in an unworthy manner. And, and then he speaks about division in the church. And if I have spoken and you realise that you have issues within the church, within the church body today, then I'm going to ask you just to go and find that person today. This is body ministry. I want you to go and find them. I want you to sit down and I want you to work through this forgiveness. And then I want you to take communion together. If the person isn't, isn't here today for whatever reason, then, then I want you to come before God as we take communion and ask God for forgiveness for the part that you've played. Allow him to transform your heart. And then at the end of the service, the, the buckets are going to stay outside in the corridor. I want you to go and get communion for them as well. And then I want you to go as soon as you're able. I want you to go and find them. I want you to go and resolve the issue and then take communion together. Is that all right? We're family. And I believe that through our speech and our relationships, we can present the city with an alternate reality. One in which truth and grace abound. One in which diverse people come together as brothers and sisters. A community that makes the world sit up and take notice. That becomes magnetic to those who are lost and searching for hope in the world. In a world full of division, what would it be like if we demonstrated what it was like to be gentle tongue, to bring healing for our words, to be incredibly full of grace and love and patience? When people come in, I think they would go, wow, I want to be here. Would you stand with me, with the band join me? James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole body, of course, on one's life on fire, and it is, it is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed 
and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise the Lord our Father, and with it we curse the human beings who have been made in the image of God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praises and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water.